Hello and welcome to another edition of the Speaking Club podcast. I'm your host Sarah Archer and this is show number two. Let's go! I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hi, and this week is magic. No, literally. The thing is, I believe if you're a public speaker, you're also an entertainer. Yes, your primary purpose is likely to be to educate, to inform or to inspire. But without being able to grab people's attention, to keep them interested and stimulated, whatever message you have is likely to get lost. So it stands to reason we could probably learn a lot from professional entertainers, which leads me to this week's guest, Richard Parsons. Richard is an award-winning professional magician and pickpocket. And not only does he lift the curtain on a magician's life, but we also get some great speaking tips. So without further ado, Richard Parsons. Hello and welcome to the Speaking Club, Richard Parsons, professional magician and pickpocket. <laughs> I've been really looking forward to this interview because I, mean, I find magic fascinating. I'm not, not just from the entertainment side of it, but the psychology of it too and you know, how people can be influenced. But first, I'd really love to know how on earth you became a full-time professional magician and pickpocket? Yeah, so it's a bit of a, a crazy journey, really. I've had a couple of different careers. I started off in my early 20s as a graphic designer. Uh, then I got a bit bored with that, and a friend of mine trained to be a therapist, so I did some training to be a therapist. And it was whilst I was a therapist that I took up magic as a hobby because a friend of mine at a therapy conference showed me a trick, uh, a guy called Mark, and I pestered him for months <laughs> to tell me how it was done. And eventually Mark sent me um, a book and a couple of decks of cards. It just started as a hobby. So I would just do card tricks at parties and things like that. And gradually over a couple of years, you know, people would offer me a wedding or, or a paid booking. So it was kind of part time for a while. And in the end, I was having so many phone calls about magic that I gave up the therapy business completely <laughs> and gave up my office and everything. So, I, I mean, I was already self-employed anyway. Yeah. So the transition was quite easy. Um, so I just cut down the other work and decided to be a full time performer. Wow. So you didn't even start like as a child. It was, no, it was I didn't. as an adult and you've got to this level. That's really cool. Yeah, it all happened really quickly. I think the great thing about our business is the, the more you work, the more work you get because I'm sort of almost self-advertising all the time. So, uh, yeah, it did seem to build up very, very quickly, actually. Um, but also that was the time that social media kind of exploded. So I think any business these days, even small businesses, it's a great time to be in business, isn't it? There are lots of ways that we can now market ourselves, aren't there? So, yeah. yes, we've got busier and busier every year. So, and uh, I love it. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Was there a difference between the first time you did like a card trick at a party in front of people and then your first professional paid gig? Was there like, did you have like loads of nerves for that, for that first professional gig? Yes, definitely. I think 
there's such a huge responsibility as soon as people start actually paying you it's a mind shift isn't it so you are providing a service the service is me you know I'm, I'm the product as such but yeah there's definitely a lot of responsibility and I think I think the nerves are natural I've never really been terrified of being nervous I understand where the feelings come from and I think I think for any performer you have to go through those horrible gigs where you're really nervous and you're for a magician you know their worst case scenario is that their hands shake or something but I, I don't think there's any way of shortcutting that you have to perform to get better at performing I guess you know with yourself as a comedian Sarah it's, it's that stage time isn't it you have to have stage time yeah I mean it's unfortunately the only way through fear is to do the thing you're you're scared of the actions of confidence come first and then the feelings of confidence come later in a sense you, you only yes. get better if you if you get if you practice and so you just have to get on with it and I think a lot of people struggle with that particularly with speaking I can imagine you know with, with what you do as well it must stop a lot of people from coming out of their bedroom from you know probably they're quite accomplished magicians you know in yeah, terms of being yeah. a hobby but to make that transition from you know, family to to performance is a, is a massive step. I think I would I would have thought anyway. Yes, I th I think so. And it, I mean, I was quite lucky in a sense that it was quite gradual. So you don't you know, it wasn't a hobby, and then I suddenly had ten events the next week. You know, it was it was a wedding here and there, and I was just doing my normal day job. But I think you know, the more you work at something, the better you get, and and the nerves do eventually disappear. And I can honestly say. Um, at the moment unless I'm trying something new maybe you know I, I don't feel nervous at all and, and that's a lovely feeling when you suddenly make that transition you can't even necessarily describe when that happens um, or, or even which gig it happened but eventually I think you just you gain that confidence you've done it a thousand times you know you know all the anti-heckle lines and you've done <laughs> every situation but so you've got to put yourselves in those situations yeah to then be really, really comfortable, I guess. And that's, I suppose that's the importance of the stage time, isn't it? But I think if I was advising someone else going into magic, I would say, you know, start off gently. Don't, don't suddenly have a 500 person corporate event as your very first <laughs> event, or something. you know, maybe to do a little birthday party down the road, you know, and just, uh, just build that confidence up gradually. You don't have to go hell for leather straight from, straight from the first event, I don't think. No, and I think it's about, it is definitely, but you know, the people often talk about circle of comfort, you know, your comfort zone. And, you know, I know from myself from doing comedy, the first five minute gig was like massively outside my comfort zone. And then you stretch to, you know, 10 minutes and then you stretch to, you know, an hour long show at the, the, the fringe or whatever, but your circle grows bigger and life is better if you're spending it at the edge of your circle so you're constantly growing I think so you don't have any nerves at all before a performance now not even butterflies that sort of flight or fight thing it's no, just I, I, completely I, comfortable. I, I genuinely don't That's brilliant. Uh, especially for things like weddings and corporate events and trade shows it can get a little bit more nerve-wracking I'm sometimes booked for very small private intimate parties at someone's house you know there can be 10 people at a dining room table and I'm booked for say 30 minutes after dinner something like that so obviously when you're in someone else's house that's that's a little bit harder because you're less in control of the environment and things like that so that those are probably for me anyway personally as, as a magician probably a little bit harder than 
your average normal corporate event where you've got 20 tables and you're you know you're going from one table to another you know i've done hundreds of those and hundreds of weddings so they you know that they just get easier and easier i think that's quite interesting so it's when you're doing something new a new trick or the environment is new that they sort of kick in cool the other thing i was going to ask you so are you talking about that intimate environment and and weddings and stuff but do you find that most people are welcoming when you approach them to do the magic or do you have to get them engaged before you start performing tricks i would say most of the time about say 80 90 percent of the time most people are very welcoming um i mean the ideal table is when you go up and someone screams out i love magic or <laughs> like that. so you know your job is already done before you even start but i think even at corporate events you know the black tie dinners and things I think most people realize that you're a professional paid performer, especially once you start. So I think they realize that you haven't just wandered in off the street. Um, You know, so I mean, something like Christmas parties are probably some of the hardest where people are obviously drinking a bit more and a bit more rowdy. Um, I hate those as comedians. Oh, nightmare. Yeah. The the, the late night slot, you know, that's, that's obviously a little bit harder, but um, no, I, I think generally speaking, most people are really welcoming. They're all, if it's a wedding, they're already in a good mood, you know, if I stroll up to them. So it, it's very rare, I think, for someone just to say, no, I hate magic, go away. I mean, it does happen occasionally. Have you got any tips for speakers on, on that or sort of audience engagement bit that will cross over from what you do? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of things that I'd already thought of. I think the first one is to, to get to know, especially if it's a... An environment where perhaps you're at a networking meeting or a business meeting mm-hmm. um, is to ask for their names so I'm quite a stickler for remembering people's names at events I've got like a two-hour uh, name memory so I can remember the name by the end of the evening but the next day I'll probably <laughs> forget that completely um, but people always seem to be impressed if you remember their name and I often just ask them about their, themselves you know what job do they do so I think a big part of being a magician is is personality and talking to people and also listening to people obviously if it's a a speaking event where you're not really you're stood in front of a huge audience then i guess the main thing i would advise is rehearse and research Um, and i even do things like dress rehearsal so i will wear what i'm going to wear on the day so it is a dress rehearsal i'm I'm not sat in my jeans and t-shirt um so even things like that you know if if you're going to do a big speech at home when you're rehearsing it wear what you're going to wear on the day you know don't rehearse the speech sitting on the sofa stand up um you know and use that body language so th- those are all sort of little things that i've probably picked up over the years that that's really really good advice i, I remember um on a on a comedy course uh, once that uh, there was a guy who could not remember his his gags you know um but he remembered them sitting down and it turned out he was a, a milkman and right. he practiced sitting down and his milk float so if he was sat down he could remember but if he was stood up he yeah. couldn't remember so that environment thing is really important yeah yeah really really important and i think another part of it is if you're going to do a professional speaking event try and look at the environment beforehand if you can you know where are you going to stand uh, where are you seated when they call you up is there anything in the way that you've got to work your way around i just um it's it's a sad story but i just spoke at my mum-in-law's funeral oh. um, so i i did the tribute but when i got there they had placed um her flowers right in front of the podium 
Oh no. Do my tribute. So all I was thinking of before I had to go and do it was, I must make sure that I do not trip over those flowers. So, you know, it's, I think environment is important, isn't it? You know, um, get to the gig early, yeah. uh, get to the speaking event early, find out about the microphones, the sound system, exit and entrance and that kind of thing. All of those things I help, I think help get rid of the fear because yeah. you know what's coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, the other thing I say to speakers that I coach is you can do some research on the audience the demographics, yeah. you know, A, it avoids, it avoids you making any faux pas in terms of, you know, because sometimes in companies there's things that have happened that no one talks about or, you know, you can give yourself a massive advantage uh, in terms of doing that prep and planning and uh, audience research. And I'm sure you do do a bit of that yourself. You know, I guess you're getting very familiar with the the areas that you work in now, but that that's a big part of it for that I would advise for speakers as well is do that audience you know check and research really well yeah it's it's I guess it's like uh, comedians as well you know they you you see the finished product you don't realize the thousands of hours of writing that have gone into it and trekking up and down the motorway you know so when, when people say oh yeah he was he or she was an overnight success yeah over 10 years <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> year overnight success so I think um I think research if I'm doing a trade show for example I will often go and meet the company so trade shows is where I'm hired to be on their stand and promote their product draw a crowd and, and sort of bring people in with magic quite often I can do magic with their product which is quite fun um but yeah definitely for those sort of things I I want to know about the company what's your message for the day who's your target audience you know if there's if I'm working at a trade show um, they might say to me, well, don't stop these people because, because there's no point, you know. Um, I did one for a finance company recently and she specifically wanted me to stop either tradespeople or, or people looking to become land helps, you know, knowing who have I got to stop, um, you know, knowing a bit about, um, you know, your audience, your target market. Yes, that's really important, you know, because that helps when you're writing the speech as well, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Who am, who am I pitching for and what do I want them to get from this? Yeah, and what, yeah, exactly. Where are they starting off and where do I need to take them to? And that helps you manage that. What do I need yeah. to tell them in between to get them from A to A to B effectively? Yeah. Cool. And on your website, and, and we've touched on this, but on your website, it says that just as important as the magic is, is what, you know, the personality, the warmth and the humor. So do you spend as much time developing this side as practicing the technical side of your performance? Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I don't think I deliberately practice it. I mean, I do have books on acting and stagecraft. Um, we, we talked uh, before the podcast, didn't we, about the fact yeah. that I love watching comedians on YouTube and I love watching other performers and how they deal with people and, and different personalities. I don't think I sort of, you know, consciously try and develop a personality. I think it's just important to be, to have good social skills and be able to talk to people and pause and listen. So if people don't have those social skills and they want to be something like a magician, I would, have, I would advise them to study those areas as well. You know, don't just get a magic book. Yeah get a book on you know social skills and presentation skills get your book for example <laughs> but 
but yeah, I, I think I think if I look at my friends that are magicians, you know, the busiest ones are the ones that they're nice people anyway uh, as yeah. well. They've got good personalities. They're fun to be around. Uh, you'd happily have a chat with them anyway. So I think there's an old saying where, you know, if they like you, that they'll like your trip. I think that's absolutely true, yeah. Yeah, personality is a huge, huge part of it. And then I always wondered about this, you know, I guess a follow-on from this is, you know, obviously you've got the trick, you know, the card trick or whatever, and there's other things which you do, which I mentioned in a minute, which uh, look amazing. But how important is the story and the banter around the trick in making the trick actually work i would say it's absolutely crucial because with, with some tricks i mean you, you can buy some self-working tricks and just use the patter straight out of the box or, or from the from the video or the dvd but it, it's the off the cuff moments that actually really make something truly funny yeah. uh, i don't know whether it's the same when you're on stage and an audience member says something that's unscripted it's actually those moments that everyone remembers because all of a sudden you're 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 really living it for real, aren't you? It's not just the same trick that you've done a hundred times. Yeah. Um, so I'd say the banter, uh, and I kind of encourage people to heckle a bit. You know, it's not <laughs> within within reason. Yeah. Um, I have had people kind of grab my cards and throw them on the floor and things like that, which is just a bit. No. A bit, yeah, yeah. People people are drunk sometimes, aren't they? So they do silly things. And what sort of heckles do you get as, as a magician? Um, I get a lot of things like, um, can you make my wife disappear? <laughs> Which we've all heard millions of times, you know, and uh, I normally say things like, um, your wife asks first and ladies go first. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we, a lot of the standard lines, you know, um, but you kind of get used to dealing with it. Um, but yeah, is personality is is such a big part, and for me, that's probably the most fun bit. That the trick is only like a vehicle. Uh, there was a good magician friend of mine who gave me a fantastic piece of advice when I started out, and he said, "Think of yourself as an entertainer, yeah. not a magician." And even that, even that word shift, um, really made a difference. You know, yes, I do magic, and yes, I'm a magician, but I think first and foremost, I'm an entertainer. It is interesting what you say about um, hecklers. They, the, the sort of cardinal sin as a comedian is stealing other people's material. But the only thing that comedians are happy for you to borrow and share around are heckler yeah. put downs. You know, and I yeah. guess that's the same with with you guys as well. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, you you mustn't sort of uh, copy someone else's act. You know, that's that's definitely a big no no. But with with heckle lines. Sometimes you, you do them so much, you kind of forget, is this my line? Did I, did I do this or, or have I just heard someone else do this? But it's good to come up with your own stuff, obviously, because then that makes it, you know, it's more real. It's more you then, isn't it? Exactly. Okay. So I, the other thing I've always wondered is whether doing magic tricks is like riding a bike. Like once you've learned a trick, is that, is that it? You can do it. Or do you need to keep practicing it? to keep it at performance standard? Well, I would say it's a bit like a bike. Once you know the basics and you have them down. Um, see, the thing is, I, I, don't, I don't practice material that I already know because I'm doing it, you know, five or 10 times per week or something, you know, a couple of weddings at the weekend on a Friday and a Saturday, you know, quite often we'll do two or three events in one day. So I'm kind of getting practice time just by doing it. I, right. I'm doing this trick you know 
quite a few times, but I would definitely rehearse something that's new. Um, so something that I'm trying to put into my repertoire. That's when I'll sit down at home and, and sort of take the time to practice and think about it and think about the scripting and, and even do some writing, you know, like comedians do actually sit down and think, right, how am I going to um, present this? But I also think you can kind of over practice things as well. I think that's quite important. Yeah, uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. Over rehearse where you're just reading the same speech hundreds of times and you, you know once you know it you know it you can kind of relax and perhaps go a bit off script then so um, the stuff that I do all the time I don't practice it um, in fact when, I, when I'm at home I don't really do much magic what's <laughs> <laughs> your job you know it stops becoming a hobby then you do something else okay and one thing that you you don't just do cards you I've, I think I saw on your some of your videos floating 10 pound notes bending fork prongs, things on fire, and the people just look like you've blown their minds. Do you feel under constant pressure to up your own game and do new tricks? Is that, is that something that worries you? Uh, yes, yes, it does, it does worry me. In fact, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, Ashley, who's a, who's a great magician this morning, actually. I don't think that pressure comes from outside mm. because if I'm going to lots of different events, they're new people it's a new crowd i think that pressure comes from inside and the danger of, of getting bored doing the same thing we're quite lucky in a way i guess as magicians that most of our audiences is quite new if yeah. i go to rising i've never seen any of them before and unless i've seen them at a previous event and they've booked me yeah um so the answer is yes but i think that's more for magicians i think that's probably more of an internal pressure that that right i've been doing the same thing you know I need to do something else. I need to put something else in my act. But it's it, it's hard, you know, when you know routines really well, it's <laughs> difficult to put something new in. Yeah, although some comics that, that I know of have done the same material <laughs> for like years. And <laughs> you just think, oh, I don't know how you can't get bored of it yourself, you know, because you, you it works get the and point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. I guess if you've got... Yeah, you've got a new audience, but uh, cool. And where do you get your ideas for tricks? Is there, I was thinking it was like some big Harry Potter book of magic that Magic Circle members have that you pull from, or do you, do you make them up, or what, what happens? Uh, well, you, you can do both. I mean, some people are incredibly creative in the magic world, and, and they come up with their own stuff. Um, sadly, I, I'm not one of those creative people. <laughs> I tend to read magic books or look at DVDs or, or you know, hang around with my friends and we discuss tricks and things but um yeah you know you, you can join the magic circle and go to lectures and things and there's also uh you know conventions and things like that so there's the sort of magic equivalent of, of comic-con and things like that so mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's, it's basically just a load of magicians hanging out together really <laughs> uh, yes yeah, people are incredibly creative and I, it amazes me where they get their ideas from but you know, at the same time, you know, you can just get a book and, and learn some card tricks. Excellent. Okay, cool. And um, I noticed in, in your career highlight on your website, one of the things was um, performing alongside Ja Rule and Ashanti at yes. a wedding. What, what was, was that? A celebrity wedding? Was that? Uh, it wasn't a celebrity wedding in the sense that the, the bride and groom weren't celebrities. Uh, so this, this was a wedding uh, organised by... Uh, a lady called Jane planned for perfection and uh, she got a team together to go out to Spain and it, it was quite a luxury wedding and Ashanti and Ja Rule were, were booked to perform in the evening so uh, yeah and I did magic at the drinks reception so I had three days in Spain 
and did magic for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, this sounds like no, a good gig. It was, it was okay. You know, it, it was, no, it was, it was absolutely amazing. Gigs like that don't come along very often. It's not, it's not like that every weekend. Brilliant. But because a lot of people that get into speaking want to know how to get speaking gigs. And I guess in, it's similar for magicians. You know, we've got, I guess, a lot of the same customers in terms of event managers, conference planners, etc. You, you, I guess you mentioned a lot of referrals and, and doing it. Have you got any tips or you know how did you start off have you got any tips for speakers around how to approach uh conference organizers or did it all just happen for you without much much effort well i think it happened gradually and i think i think in this day and age you've got to do a little bit of everything you need to do some real networking so find some business groups nearby you know we we met each other at a business group so it clearly works yes it did uh, so you know real networking online networking you know twitter and facebook and instagram and, and those sorts of things so i think it's really important to get out there in real life and meet people but also do all the sort of standard stuff on online probably linkedin i would say is going to be the most important tool for business speakers and business networking events and that kind of industry so you know working on there to build up a profile you know there's some great podcasts that are free on how to create a really good LinkedIn profile you know I, th I think you've got to get out there and and make it happen I'm, I'm not a great believer in in luck I think you've just got to work hard and put yourself out there and you know the, the busier you are I think the busier you get yeah that's what I would advise do, do a bit of everything speak to loads of people, have a good online presence. That's, that's, those are really good, really good tips. Now, the other thing that I also, I wanted to talk to you about was the pickpocketing. Yes. Uh, that, this is fascinating. And, uh, and how much of that is about reading people? Because I, I read this book once, which said, um, thieves and muggers will read your body language. And if you like walk tall and look a bit feisty, you, and you think they think you might be trouble they will leave you alone is, is that the same with your pickpocketing or do you pick people that look like they may be easy targets or or can you do it to anyone uh I, th I think you can do it to anyone but i think if you're talking about actual criminal pickpockets uh i would say that they would go for the easy target so you know the people with their phones sticking out their back pocket and things like that you know they, they don't want to be caught so the only difference between me as a theatrical pickpocket and a criminal is I don't mind my face being shown whereas they don't <laughs> especially on the tube with the doors closed so uh, uh, I, I think anyone could be a target but yeah you, you get very very good at reading body language obviously in an entertainment context I'm trying to pick on the, the the bloke that's the life and soul of the party perhaps he's already heckled me a couple of times so I know he's going to be a good sport so if I start taking his phone and his wallet and things like that. So I, I wouldn't pick on someone who's really shy, doesn't really want to be involved. But yeah, on, on the street for criminals, I, I think they would go for easy targets, soft targets, people that leave their handbags unzipped. And, and people do it all the time. When I'm doing events in London, I can see stuff on the tube and I'm just thinking, oh my God, you know, that's going to disappear in a minute. Oh, I feel like saying something, but then I think that would be really weird. <laughs> I just say to them, do you know what? That's going to be stolen in a minute. I think that, you know, that they'll probably call the police on me. So, And how did you get into that? Because that's, I don't know, is it in the same box as magic? Is it something that other magicians do? Or is it something completely different that you, and how did you know um, you were talented at it? Yeah, I, I, I didn't until I started stealing stuff. And <laughs> I 
realising that, I, you know, I, I wasn't bad. <laughs> Which is a bit of a worry, isn't it? It is. I have an honest thing. If I do give everything back. Um, no, a couple of... It is quite common for magicians to do things like stealing a watch. Right. So in the middle of a magic trick, you know, uh, some people will quite often take off someone's watch and then give it back to them which which is great fun but then obviously sort of proper pickpocketing is an extension of that it's the misdirection that fascinated me and also I guess going back to what we said earlier about doing things that are new the one thing I love about pickpocketing is I'm doing it on the fly and anything can happen I have to so unlike a magic trick where I know what's going to happen and I know the ending with pickpocketing once you start doing it, you, you have no idea what they've got in their pockets. I've had room keys. Oh, my goodness. I remember taking an egg and a plug out of one person's pocket. And still to this day, I have no idea what they were doing there. <laughs> they weren't a technician or something, were they? No, no it, was, it was just a guy. And it was like a three-pinned plug and a boiled egg in his pocket. Wow. Which it, which it, so that's one of the things that I like about something like you know entertainment pickpocketing is the fact that it's you've got to really think on your feet and it's all about directing people's attention away from you know the, the, the pocket that you're going after or the watch or something. Um, so actually, although people use the word misdirection, I would probably use the word direction. You are you are directing people's attention to where you want it to be, and then you're working in the darkness. You know, so wow. yeah, it's good fun and it, it definitely creates a different a different vibe you know I've even worked with the police I know um, I was going to ask you about that tell, tell us about that yeah so uh Gloucestershire police I've worked with them a number of times and they hired me to steal things which is with a good point yeah so uh, it was it was with their crime prevention their harm reduction unit they call it and uh yeah I worked with them on their van and uh, did some dipping and then the police officer would give them a leaflet saying he's one of the good guys and he's giving everything back but if he wasn't your stuff would be gone oh my word and the thing is it's great for them because if you're doing it for real and you're you're taking someone's wallet and then giving it back they they've just realized in that couple of moments how easy it is to be distracted and hopefully they'll hang on to their stuff a little bit tighter now yeah. i think just walk around and think it'll never happen to them um so it's a good way of just proving it for real rather than a police officer just giving them a leaflet yeah. you know, having a bit of fun but hopefully with a sort of a you know a serious message behind it yeah and you also do put pocketing as well i noticed that so so co- I, I understand conference organizers will hire you to go and put things in people's pockets yeah. which is is that harder or easier and what how do people feel about uh, that it's harder it depends what item you're placing so uh i can remember doing a three-day security trade show for a, a company and they had developed some cars that they wanted me to put in people's pockets um it's pretty easy as long as something as long as the card is quite small right. so fit in my palm it's it's fairly easy to deposit into people's pockets and this card said you know come to stand l56 and we'll sort out your security or something um so it's, it's great guerrilla marketing tactic but yeah, yeah kind of depends on what you've got to put pocket but it's it's just the reverse engineering really you know instead of taking something you're just putting something in um it's almost, it's almost more fun really because then they then they discover it later <laughs> how did that get there um and, and i must have been drinking at lunchtime um is that psychology thing though a factor at all in the pickpocketing in terms of I don't know, human, it feels to me like human beings must 
be quite easy to manipulate or influence if you know with the misdirection is is that is that the case are we that's we that simple i th- i think we are depending on different situations so mm. i think you know if, if you imagine something like personal space if you suddenly walked up to somebody and invaded their personal space they would probably stay, take a step back but if i had a map in my hand and i came up to you in the street and i said i'm really sorry i'm lost do you know which road i'm on now all of a sudden i'm in your personal space but there's an excuse to be there right you haven't just walked up and confronted someone you know and perhaps even you're stood to the side of them so you're not directly in front of them you're stood to the side of them but showing them the map saying i'm really sorry i'm, I'm lost it's, it's kind of non-confrontational isn't it so yeah. um you know some of these um criminal pickpockets they're working gangs so one person will do the distracting someone else will actually do the dipping right someone else might might block so unfortunately i think i think we can all easily be distracted you know i, I think we are human beings and we get we concentrate on one thing too much and of course to you know to take something takes a few seconds doesn't it and the, and the reactions from people to the stuff that you do i mean as i say i i, I chose the word blown away and then i happened to see on, on one of the testimonials from from one of your you know audience that was exactly the word that they used to to yeah. say what they thought about what you've done i mean that must give you such a buzz to create that sort of you know shock and like or feeling amongst people you know is that is that a massive part of the benefit of doing it for you along obviously alongside the pay at the end of the day i I would i would say it's the reason for doing it 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 is about the buzz and i think any performer whether they're a musician or a comic it's it's that it's that moment isn't it and it's so difficult to describe i guess it's that for me it's that magic moment uh for, for you it's 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 that joke and the whole audience just goes crazy and it's you know and those moments are fleeting aren't they so you just want to go back and and sort of do it again more yeah. Uh, but yeah to be able to have that moment and get paid for it and it's my full-time job is is a is a lovely feeling and I think if I lose that then then that's the time to change isn't it and, and do yeah. something else I guess it's like coming off stage for you or, or you know the, the the play going really well or getting a, an amazing review or something it's just that lovely sort of feeling of, of accomplish, accomplishment and I think you know in, it's like I would describe it, so for me, it's like when you know you've got the audience in the palm of your hand, and I think that transcends whether you're doing comedy or music or speaking as well, and what you do, when you've got them hooked and they're leaning in and they're completely absorbed and present, that's amazing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And and not every event or not every table are, are like that, but that, of course, means that when you do have a table that are really into it and shouting and screaming, you know that those are those are the gigs that you come away from thinking you know tonight i did a, i did a great job and of course i don't know about other performers but if you have a difficult table you always come away blaming yourself not the table yeah uh, or oh, maybe i should change all my magic tricks um but then of course you speak to other people and they say oh no i had a difficult table last night or or you know a comic says oh, i had a difficult gig so you realize that actually we're all in the same boat and you know we're public facing aren't we so yeah. the, general public can be interesting sometimes people, people are funny creatures but uh, yeah, especially with a couple of beers inside them <laughs> yeah absolutely those hen nights and the christmas parties you mentioned are yeah. like they yeah. are tough yeah. <laughs> cool okay i've got some questions which i ask all the guests which i'd like to move on to but before we do have you got any other tips that you can think of for speakers uh or aspiring speakers 
that that crossover from what you do that we haven't covered off? Uh, yeah, I did actually remember something from my therapy days, which is something you you may or may not have heard of, but it's something called QA's Law. Um, no, I haven't. Yeah, it's named after a French guy, Emile QA. And he stated something. He said, when your will and your imagination are in conflict, your imagination will almost always win. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so let's say if you're carrying a cup of tea and you've got a a new suit on and you think to yourself, I mustn't spill this on my suit, you will spill it on your suit because you've given yourself a very powerful negative suggestion and and now all you're thinking about is trying not to spill something. Oh, wow. It's a bit like the, the, the don't think of a pink elephant. Yeah, you know when when you tell people don't walk on the grass, they want to walk on the grass, or, or don't touch the exhibits in the museum. You know, it's that urge, isn't it? It's that sort of childhood urge. So one bit of advice, you know, carried over from from my therapy days would be, you know, you must imagine things going how you want them to go. You know, it's got to be positive. So imagine yourself speaking clearly, um, taking pauses, you know, really create a vivid, positive image in your mind. And that that should help. And the reason for that is imagination is more powerful. It's emotional. A bit like, say, a horror movie, you know, consciously, we know they're just actors and it's all fake but your emotions take over, your imagination takes over and, the, and the, the fear when you're watching the movie is really real, you know, but consciously deep down, you know, it's just a movie, but it doesn't matter. Your imagination takes over. That's a brilliant tip. A brilliant tip. I, I suppose you use it in reverse in your magic, potentially, in terms really of the cool. misdirection. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, I, think, I think if you're rehearsing, you know, rehearse positively. Don't, don't, picture what you fear might go wrong picture it going well um which i guess is like a dress rehearsal isn't it it's just in your head instead yeah i mean there's so much evidence around visualization and there was a professor who did um you probably i don't know if you've come across this where he he worked with some basketball players and he split them into three groups and one practiced for an hour one visualized practicing for an hour and the other did nothing the other group did nothing and the, there was hardly any difference in results when they came back in terms of standard of the people that had visualized but it does it's so important to visualize it going perfectly yes. rather than going wrong and you know if you you might as well not bother if you're doing if you're doing that it's absolutely right yeah brilliant thank you Right. Now some some questions for you. What's the best thing that speaking has done for you? And it could be career or personal, but in your case, I guess, you know, performing has done for you. I think giving me more confidence uh, around other people in everyday life. I guess like a lot of performers, my performing self is just a louder, more expressive version of myself. I'm obviously not running around doing magic tricks at home all the time. So I guess dealing with the general public, you know, week in, week out, I I do hundreds of weddings, hundreds of corporate events. I think it gives you a real connection with people, which makes a difference in just normal everyday life. Yeah. And then the reverse of that, what's your biggest blooper? Yeah, we all have them in whatever field we're in. What's yours? I mean, thankfully, probably the worst thing that can go wrong is just that a trick goes wrong or I lose the card or something. But the thing is with magic, there's normally a way to get out of it. If people don't know the ending of the trick, then I'll change it anyway midway. So if I lose a card or something, if someone's chosen a card and I'm I'm supposed to be aware of where it is, but I've lost it, I'll just say something like, oh, oh, sorry, I forgot. I need you to sign it, pick another one. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I guess this is where the confidence and and the relaxation comes in. At the end of the day, if it's only a card trip, 
nothing bad's going to happen. If it, if it really genuinely goes wrong, you know, it, it doesn't really matter that much. It's not like being a doctor or something. So, um, you know, people need to relax a bit, I think, sometimes. And, you know, perspective. Yeah, it's perspective, isn't it? So as long as your, your overall performance is really, really good, people will forgive you the odd mistake. And sometimes, actually, they create really funny moments. Yeah. Drop yeah, a cup or something. Or, yeah, it makes you human, I guess, doesn't it? But, yeah, we, we've all had tough gigs, I think. Also for speakers as well. I think they, you know, if, if you're a speaker and you, you've you written your speech, you, you know your speech and you miss a bit out, the audience doesn't know your speech. So don't let it undermine you and stop you because you can you know they won't know it's missing so just carry on and they won't know but yeah yeah, cool okay now i don't know if you've come across this guy called uh, napoleon hill he wrote a book called think and grow rich and one of the big things in his book was talking about mastermind groups to help you sound out ideas and sort of learn things and if you could choose three mentors and they can be alive or dead real or fictional who would you choose and why oh three oh that's a great question Crikey. Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm really into my yoga. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I love that. So it would have to be either my yoga teacher um, here, SJ, uh, or there's a lady called Tara Styles in America that invented this particular yoga system. And I always watch her stuff and I'm quite inspired, uh, not just with her training, but her sort of business approach and things like that. Um, my favourite magician, I have quite a few, but my favourite magician is a French guy called David Stone. Okay. It's incredible. So I always, I always look at his stuff and think, wow, I wish I could be like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's nice to have a mentor, isn't it? Or, or look up to other people and, and get inspiration. Definitely. Um, and, the, and the other person that I like at the moment is um, Conor McGregor, the, the UFC Oh, the fighter, they're because he's just so crazy and so funny and just does whatever he wants. And, you know, he's uh, he's kind of inspiring in the sense that he doesn't listen to anyone and he does his own thing. And he's, you know, become a multi, multi millionaire out of kind of nowhere. And, I, you know, it's that sort of rags to riches, yeah. story, isn't it? So I think, you know, if you look at people like that and think, wow, this guy just worked hard, you know, male or female, or, you know, it doesn't matter, but this guy just worked really, really hard and he had a vision and just thought, you know, right, I'm going to do this and, it, and he's done it now into boxing as well. So, um, you know, I think that's quite inspiring. I look yeah. at people like that and think, wow, people can Probably do Probably be good to go out for a beer with as well, I would have thought. Yes, I would quite like him as a mentor, you know, <laughs> if he could buy me a car, that would be lovely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always inspired by anyone that's successful, really. I it doesn't really matter who they are, whether it's a dancer or a comic or, you know, any type of performance. I think I like people that work hard. So a lot of the books that I read are biographies or autobiographies, you know, people climbing Everest and things like that. I, I like that idea of a person not being able to do something and then eventually doing it. I think that's the, to be honest, that's the thing that, two, two things, you think. I think Gary Vaynerchuk says talent, uh, sorry, hard work tops talent every time and, yeah. you know, being persistent and carrying on when other people stop. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, you're right. And um, people can have talent, not do anything with it, can't they? Or or they can have genetics or good genetics like um, Usain Bolt or something, but he still put in the hard work for thousands of hours every day of every week. And maybe being self-employed, that's even more important because there's no one else to do it for you. If I don't do my social media, then, then we don't eat. Basically. <laughs> oh, 
well, which is a nice segue. So I, I wanted to thank you for, for coming on the show. Oh, and I wanted to, oh, you're it's an absolute pleasure. Really, really interesting. And how can people find you, Richard? What what are you are you on Twitter? What's your Twitter handles and stuff? What's your website? How can we find you after after listening to this? So uh, my Twitter and Instagram are the same. It's mm-hmm. at Gloss Magician. And my website is www.gloucestershiremagician.co.uk. Cool. Uh, I'll put these in the, in the show notes. So at Gloss Magician, G-L-O-S Magician. Yeah. So that's the same for Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I'm also on Facebook if you search for Gloucestershire Magician. Brilliant. Well, I hope uh, people listening want something unusual for a social event or a business conference, you're obviously the person to call. And I, I'd advise you check out Richard's website. He's got some great clips on of things that he's done. And I, actually, I didn't ask you about the fork bending, but uh, I'll like, maybe have to get you on another time and talk some more because it's fascinating. Hey, <laughs> thank you ever so much, Richard. You take care. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Well, I loved getting the lowdown on some magic and pickpocketing tips and tricks. The only thing is now I'm going to be suspicious when anyone approaches me with a map. I hope you enjoyed the show. As ever, I'd love it if you would subscribe. And if you have a few minutes to leave a review, that would be awesome. See you again next week when I'll be giving you some brilliant tips on creating and delivering a killer elevator pitch. Have a fab week. And remember, grab life by the nuts and get cracking. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book, Straight to the Top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is, and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.